I feel like we should have um, like a ritual. Is it ritual? Is a it ritual. A ritual that we should start before the podcast. Like I think, like band members clap. Um, some people do a chant. I feel like we, we should just do. <laughs> Why don't we have one of those spiritual things that Madonna used to do and just hold hands? I can't reach your hand. I don't know where your hand has been, so I don't <laughs> want to touch it. Oh, he's cruel to me. I'm not cruel. Yes, not, you are. I'm sorry. I was kidding. I was actually kidding. I really was. Do you know what? I, I've missed you. Reach out and hold I'm going to reach out and hold you. Is that our new ritual? We just hold each other's hands. Yes. <sighs> ESPN, head in the game. Hello, this is Head in the Game, your weekly up-close and personal take on a major sporting event. I'm Jamie Lang, and every week we get the lowdown from a range of guests uh, who know a lot more about their sport than I do. Alongside me, and even more clueless than me when it comes to the world of sports, is writer, comedian, you'll like this, commentator on life, Alex Lowe. Hello there. Right, Alex, this week we are going to talk about tennis. Now, I know you like tennis, and it's the first... Grand Slam of 2019. Can you guess it? It's the Australian Open. Did you ever play tennis as a youth? Yes, I did. Yes, you did? I, we, my, well, my brother and I used to be ball boys. Oh. Are you allowed to call it ball boys? Ball people. Ball people we were. <laughs> you sound uh, like you're saying bald people. <laughs> we used to be bald no, no, people. I, that's what I am nowadays. But we were ball people and we used to sort of run on and uh, for a few for a few pence run on and, and pick up the balls. Although uh, to this day, we're never quite certain when to run on. So quite often we'd be running on during a rally. Do you know what would make my year? What's if that? I suddenly switched on the Australian Open and you were a ball boy <laughs> at the Australian Open now. <laughs> Is that Alex Lowe as a ball boy? <laughs> but I had a rumour that you played quite competitive tennis. I, I uh, played in a tennis club, yeah, in uh, in Pinner, where I grew up. Mm-hmm. My brother was a bit... It was, it was around the time of John McEnroe. And all that. My brother was a big one for chucking his racket around. So I don't think we were quite the tennis club material. Uh, so it was basically wooden rackets, like... Yes, cat guts. guts strings, wasn't it? Did yeah. you have the headband? Yes, yes. Shouting. <laughs> you cannot I, be serious. You cannot be serious. Yeah. Did you ever shout that? We, well, that, that was... Honestly, that was quite a fashionable thing to do at the time. You know, but not at our tennis club where we were threatened with expulsion. <laughs> right, I feel like I need to stop you there. Oh. Okay, because we're going to be jabbering on about yeah, okay. all the thing. We need someone who actually knows his tennis. Yes, we do. All right, so we have ESPN's correspondent, Peter Bodo, who is live from New York right now. Peter, you there? Hi, good to be here. My favourite name is Peter. Growing up, because I love Peter Rabbit so much, I want to be called Peter. So you're basically my hero. I wish my last name were Rabbit in that case. <laughs> uh, Peter, now we've got a lot of questions for you, so we're going to fire away because you know a lot more about tennis than me and my uh, friend Alex Lowe, who's here. Hello there. Hi there, Alex. So tennis, right, has like enjoyed this golden era. We've got Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and it's amazing they still remain top of the sport after more than a decade, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, a perfect storm of a bunch of talented guys, uh, conditions that are really favorable for them doing well, advances in technology, both in terms of their gear and their equipment, as well as nutrition and a whole bunch of other things. So it's really been probably the greatest period in tennis history. It's been a great comeback from Djokovic after injury. 
injury to become number one again. Do you think he can catch up with Federer in Grand Slam titles? I think it's a pretty tough ask. Djokovic would have to perform at a very high level consistently. I think he'd have to probably win at least two majors for the next three, four years to really surpass him. You know, that's a big ask, but he's certainly got a shot. It's currently 14 for uh, Djokovic and 20 for Federer. Yes, so he's got six. He's got six to go. That means two a year for the next three years at the age of 31. And, you know, granted, Federer's performing the way he is at 37. But he, I think, I got to believe... That's kind of a one-off. I mean, you know, maybe Djokovic will be able to play that well at 37, but he had a pretty bad elbow injury last year, and Federer's never had anything like that. He had that one knee tweak, of course, but, you know, maybe that's equivalent, maybe not. I don't know, you know, but possibly Djokovic has been very, very good about taking care of himself, so maybe he's good for 37 years of age, of course, in which case you're talking, he's got five years to win what, six majors, so that's very much more now within the realm of possibility, especially now, look, I mean, if Nadal, by some chance, he's had so many injuries lately, if Nadal can no longer be guaranteed to win the French Open, that's another, you know, 25% chance higher every year of Djokovic winning another major because the French Open, of course, has belonged to Nadal all these years. I know you seem impressed by Mr. Alex Lowe's statistics. He's reading it off a piece of paper. <laughs> just so you know that, all right? So well, Just so okay. you're aware. That means he's more accurate than I am, probably. <laughs> also, I want to know one thing. Now, oh, Alex, dang. you won't know this. Go okay. on. You won't know this. Uh, the Fab Three uh, used to be the Fab Four when Andy Murray was at his best. But Andy dramatically announced he's retiring this year. Peter, were you surprised by that? Yeah, I was. They made a big to-do about his last match, potentially in Australia. And he came out and he said he's going to have this major surgery. And He said, maybe I'll be back because I'm... I may have this major surgery. There's not a very good chance of coming back, but I may do it and may be back. So essentially, he didn't really say he's going to make a comeback. He's going to have another surgery and still play. But he certainly opened the door to it, which is something he had shut the door to when he made his announcement of retirement. He's unretired after retiring but not retiring, if you know what I mean. So it's a very strange situation. It's relatively young, isn't it? 31. So maybe he thinks there's still life in the old dog yet. I mean, I look back at 31 and say, look, at 31 years old, I was just starting. I mean, I would hate to think to be 31 and say, "Is, is my life's work done and what I most love to do over? But, you know, the fact of the matter is, that's an athlete's lot these days. It's going to be tough for him to do that. On the other hand, you know, the hip... A hip injuries are horrible. Leighton Hewitt got knocked out of the game. I mean, he, he had a good long career too, but he got knocked out of the game prematurely with the hips are devastating. I mean, people talk about knees or elbows or shoulders. Hips are absolutely devastating. I suppose being a Brit, right, we should uh, be grateful for the three Grand Slams, the oh, yeah. two Olympic titles that Andy won. I mean, his win at Wimbledon in 2013 was so iconic. What he did was absolutely massive. He handled that so well. He just handled that pressure so beautifully. And, no, I mean, all, all credit to Andy. I mean, he, you know, he doesn't know the sport of nickel. But, um, you know, and, and plus, you know, even, and even the Olympics in London, you know, that's another totally pressure-filled, you know, situation. So, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's had magnificent, magnificent achievements. You know, his career numbers, you know, look, he played at, at a time when, you know, Titans roamed the earth. But, um his, his career achievements, his, his high points, you know, unbelievable. You know, and the other thing is, you know, I think with him, you've got to remember that tremendous run he made in 16 to take the number one year-end ranking on the last day of the year from Djokovic. I, I think that's what drove him into this early retirement. I mean, he won 25 matches in a row in the fall. He played his heart out. I think he burned himself out. I, I can't speak really to his to his hip and how much that affected his hip injury. But you notice he said that his hip got definitely worse 
neck the following year at the French Open is when he's had his hip really worsened. I think he burned himself out in 2016 with that spectacular run. But do you think also that he's a bit unlucky? You know, he has he's been facing three of the greatest players that have ever lived. The thing is, if you know, if you win two or three majors, you're legitimate, no matter how you look at it. He's even more than a legitimate. In another era, he maybe would have won two or three Australian titles. I mean, he was in five finals. Wouldn't have been a super record, but he would have won two or three uh, out of five. So he more than acquitted himself beautifully. Apparently, Rafa Nadal has been dropping hints that he's going to retire as well. So, and, and Federer can't. I mean, how old is Federer? Is 37? Is there going to be like a massive void when these great players do eventually hang up their rackets? Uh, you know, I don't think so because I don't think they'll do it on Moss. Certainly Federer, the way it looks now, can kind of string it out. I mean, look, unless he has a terrible year, which doesn't look like it's going to happen. He played well at the Hopman Cup. He got off to a good start in Australia. He's good I, unless he gets injured uh, and or has a terrible, terrible slump and suddenly loses his game, which is really unlikely. He's good for another two years, this year and next year. I mean, let's let's say this year he doesn't win anything. Let's say he drops down to number nine or number 12. Well, then next year is his is year to like try to reestablish himself, one more go around. So you're looking at him for another two years, right? And then Nadal, you know, who knows? Uh, Nadal, you know, even if you lose Nadal this year, let's say, let's say his – he gets a bad injury during a clay court season. He decides to retire. You know, you still got Djokovic going strong, though. So there's a lot of overlap there. And you got Zverev coming on now as a potential champion. A couple of exciting young players. He's got Tsitsipas, the Greek kid. He's a very, very you know, personable. He and Zverev are two very, very hot, charismatic, big names, big games, appealing kids, you know. Um, so there's, I, I don't think there's going to be a big void. It's not like the top three and Andy are going to, like, drop out of sight all together and nobody's going to be there to fill the void okay can i ask you about the women's game we've had eight different grand slam champions in the last two years uh now with serena williams no longer the power she once was things are a bit less predictable do you think is that that's probably a good thing isn't it peter you think (laughs) isn't it uh well yeah you know i mean i think well look it depends on how you look at these things i mean you know the thing is the sport tends to generate the most headlines when there's a dominant player you know, media tend to be lazy. They love to have a name. They love to have a, you know, is so, can so-and-so be beaten? Can so-and-so dominate? Can so-and-so break the record? There's a little bit of laziness at work. Nobody wants to look up who this girl Sabalenka is, who Ostapenko is, who Muguruza is. Who, you know, I mean, what, gee, are these people any good? We don't follow tennis. We got a big football match coming. You know, it's it's hard, you know. But, you know, so it really, you know, there's a kind of a glass half full, half empty aspect to this. Do you really want to see a lot of different winners with a lot of exciting results and a lot of surprises? Or do you want to see one player dominate and then see if anybody can come along and knock him off? I keep talking about people retiring, but Serena, I mean, she looks like she's coming to the end of her career too, right? Do you think she's got another Grand Slam in her? Yes, uh, very possibly. I, I, I'm not going to predict that she will get one, but I, I don't think there's any question that she will. Look, when you have the kind of power that Serena has, and when you have the kind of mental strength and the kind of boldness and and courage as a competitor you know there's no you can't you, you can never you know those are the people who can never discount i think you can look at some of the people who have a beautiful game who have great strokes who have great you know style great technique you can look at some of them and say you know they'll never win, win one because they just don't you know they just don't have that fire they don't have that desire or whatever but we, the ones who have that competitive fire the dolls the federers the serenas you could never write them off as long as they're playing, unless you know, unless there's some really inhibiting factor physically. And I don't think there is one with Serena now. You know, she she's never relied, for instance, on 
foot speed per se. She's never relied on stamina. You know, her matches at her best, she's a shutdown player. You know, she, she serves people off the court. She's, you know, one, two, three shots and you're out of here. So there's no reason why she shouldn't be able to continue as long as, long as she's fit and healthy and, and doing her, her work. She ought to be fine. More broadly to the Australians. They used to be uh, a major force in world... Te- this is my Australian accent, by the way, Peter, doesn't matter. That uh, very, very good. Very good. Bless you. Uh, Rod Laver, Pat Rafter, and, and you mentioned uh, Leighton Hewitt. The current crop aren't exactly world beaters, are they? What's happened to Australian tennis, do you think? Oh, man, what are they, they got a bunch of nutty guys here, too. I mean, look at the Curios, Tomich, Kokonakis. They're, you know, they're, they're, it's a whole new generation of... You know, in a very, very strange generation in some ways, except for this kid, Minar, who might be the best of them all, who's really old school. He's like the spawn of Leighton Hewitt. I mean, all he wants to do is play tennis and win, and he's kind of, in terms of what, what's coin of the realm these days, he's really a bore. But, you know, he, all he cares about is the tennis, and he speaks in cliches, and he wants to go out there and just win, win, and win. He's going to be a force to reckon with. Peter, you know what I said at the beginning? Let's speak to a man who knows a lot about tennis. Turns out you know a lot about tennis. <laughs> yeah. You know a lot about tennis. He knows a lot. You know a lot. Peter, thank you so much. Thanks, for... Peter. Oh, it's my pleasure, fellas. Anytime. Oh, well, hey, let's do it tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got it. My favorite name, Peter. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Okay, guys. See you later. Thank you, Peter Bodo from New York. Oh, I love New York. But it's now time for... History of the Australian Open in 45 seconds. The Australian Open began life as the Australasian Championships and was first played in 1905. The Aussies dominated the tournament for years. Which may have something to do with the fact that foreigners rarely took part due to the long-distance travel. The aptly named Aussie Margaret Court holds the record number of women's singles wins with 11 titles. Although the last Australian woman to win was Chris O'Neill in 1978. The last Aussie male to win was Mark Edmund. Edmondson in 1976. What was even more remarkable was that he was a part-time window cleaner. For over 80 years, the tournament was held at different venues, including New Zealand. Until Melbourne became the permanent home in 1987. Where they played on hard courts instead of grass. In 2012, the Aussie Open hosted the longest Grand Slam final of all time at 5 hours and 53 minutes. When Novak Djokovic defeated Rafael Nadal. Temperatures can get as high as 46 degrees centigrade. That's nearly 115 Fahrenheit. Stop the clock. <laughs> So there you have it, the Aussie Open in 45 seconds. Now, I was just thinking, you could pass, if you weren't a plummy Englishman, you could pass as an Australian. Mm -hmm. Blonde hair, tanned, got the white teeth, (laughs) positive attitude, surfer shorts, the middle of winter. (laughs) Whereas you're the typical Brit, right? Pale skin, black (laughs) teeth, a little bit negative. Oh, no. You don't tan, you stroke. What does that mean? Anyway, where were we? Listen, we've had a variety of comments. Uh from the last podcast the first Mm -hmm. episode some of them are fit for broadcast here this is one from david who's a brit based in the usa he asks if we actually get on with each other away from the studio uh let me tell you now (laughs) i (laughs) spend literally no time with this guy hang on let's just get firstly it's been a week all right yes we've both had busy weeks yes and a little bit overtired no i just hey i love hanging out with you if you invited me for dinner or invited me for breakfast or invited me around to your house i yeah. would say yes okay so i'm not sure there's enough room on my driveway for that <laughs> gold coach and horses <laughs> here's another one from lily who asks lily? if you are the alex Lowe from watford yeah. who went to school with her dad 
Apparently, you supported Queens Park Rangers, sucked your thumb, and never washed your hair. No. <laughs> Definitely not me. <laughs> uh, Dan says he's a big New England Patriots fan. And are we going to cover the Super Bowl? Ah, Let's say yes. this on three. One, two, three. Yes, yes we Dan. are, Dan. We're doing it next week, mate. Very excited. And uh, there's this one. This is from 15-year-old Jules. OMG, Harting, H-I-T-G. You'll, you'll understand this, Jamie. F-W-I-W. I'm a bit to ply a game of tennis Roffle mayo, smiley face, winking racket ball, fist trophy, champagne bottle. Wait, don't you don't know what that, that means. I don't know what any of that means. You don't know what that means. Mate, I can barely operate the internet. <laughs> uh, please, guys, keep your comments, your feedback, anything coming through your podcast platform. We really, really do appreciate it. Yeah. So do everything you possibly can. Yes, Love but it. in English, so I can understand it. Alex. Yes, sir. Do you know what I have in common with tennis players? Uh... You're highly strung. Been in court a few times. <laughs> no, I'm superstitious. Oh, yes. that's old favourite. I'd be known to dodge a ladder, watch yeah. out for black cats, not put new shoes on the table, apparently. That's right. Jamie, you've never been near a ladder in your life, so yes. have you? Yes, I have. <laughs> yes, I have. I climb them all the time to put books on shelves. That's what I do. You've got your lucky pants, haven't you? You've been wearing every day. Firstly, the, the funny last. thing is, is that you you have those lucky pants on, and now you've just replicated. Is that the word? <laughs> on to me. I've replicated onto you. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. All tennis players seem to be superstitious. Oh, yeah. Roger Federer, he believes in the power of eight, apparently. So he has eight water bottles, uh, eight towel rubs, eight rackets in his bag. The power of eight, my friend. Uh, you've got uh, Nadal. He does that pre-serve. You've seen that where he has to, he scratches his butt, scratches his shoulder, shoulder, nose, ear, face, butt scratch, so on, all in a sort of rhythmical... Why are you watching him scratch his butt? That's just a specialist video I've got. I tell you what, we have a sports psychologist, Julie Blackwood, who will hopefully be able to enlighten us. Julie, tennis players, they seem to be so superstitious. They have lots of routines and habits. What is the benefit of those rituals? Yeah, so I think it can be a lot of the time it's part of their routine. You mentioned that kind of prepares them to go into battle. It's how they centre themselves, serve to take their anxiety levels down a notch and get them into the mental states where they perform their best. Jamie here for every podcast insists for luck. I don't know what it is, but he sits here entirely naked. I don't like it. No one here likes it. No. What's the strangest routine you've ever come across? Similar to, to what, you, well not what you mentioned with, with Jamie, but Agassi actually, well he did the opposite. The 1999 French Open, he recently admitted that he won his first round without wearing any underwear and uh, when a player starts a tournament a certain way and associates it with success, um, proceeded to go on and play the rest of the tournament commando, so... Tennis is, it's a gladiatorial sport, all right? For the most part, you are on your own. It's like a real battle of minds, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I find it so fascinating. I'm sure that my own experiences as a player have a lot to do with how I wound up in psychology. You're on your own with no coaching during the match. You've got the mental and physical toll of battling it out pretty much year round. The scoring system is pretty devious so we have a three-tiered scoring system which not many sports have so points make games games make sets sets make matches a lot of sports have two tiers so therefore you've got really small margins and so it's possible to win more points and also lose the match got no time limit so you don't know how long you're going to be out there for you can get yourself into a winning position and or, or you can't really get yourself into a winning position and load up the defense um like you see in some other game sports 
Um, or if you do, then you're not maybe likely to get away with it very often. Were you quite good with the, you know, the mental aspect? As I mentioned, I'm probably in psychology because of the mental side of the game. I, I find it quite challenging, but also, um, yeah, you sort of learn certain tendencies that you have under pressure. And when I started studying it, you almost become your own guinea pig. When players are on a, a losing streak, it's it's really tough. It's a lot about keeping it in perspective, which is obviously a lot easier said than done. Like we mentioned, it's a game of such small margins. Certainly understanding what's let you down, where you're getting hurt by your opposition, but also kind of taking the positives too. And if you're sort of playing the right way and you've got evidence of it moving towards your goals, then that can certainly help players to trust the process. You've also got the option, I guess, to step down a level of tournament and help you build up your confidence again. There used to be so many characters in the game, so and there seems to be less characters. Is that because they're able to control their emotions better these days? Yeah, in other words, have we got to thank you for the lack of characters in the game? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure, you know. I think it comes down certainly to the players' self-awareness and them kind of knowing how they get the best out of themselves. John McEnroe, obviously... It, Part of him engaging in those arguments with the umpire was because it helped fire him up. Um, so I think it's players knowing, you know, if their frustrations get in the way of their performance, they're likely to rein that in. But also remembering we have the Hawkeye challenge system uh, in place, which probably has a lot to do with it when players feel like they've been wronged. Rather than having no control over it, they can challenge a, a sort of finite number. I think you still do see a lot of raw emotion. Serena's behaviour, obviously, in the... US Open final last year would be maybe one example. You also maybe see more character or, or more emotion expressed in team competitions. So Davis Cup or Labour Cup, for example, I think you see a lot of um, emotion and kind of camaraderie um, between the players as well. Can, can I just ask you, pick you up on that? When you say that having a pop at the umpire and all that is a way of firing yourself up, is it as conscious as that or does it just sort of invade your body? Is, you know, are you just a hothead by nature or is it to put off the other player? Do you think that comes into play as well? I think it depends. You know, certainly things aren't going your way. It could be a way of slowing the match down that is within the, the rules. But equally, yes, it might just be kind of things have built up and that's having that that explosion and that frustration um, which is quite often you know quite instinctual now it says here that you're from andy murray's hometown of dunblane i am that's yeah. correct isn't it and is this true that judy murray and his mum coached you when you were younger what was she like she could always kind of see the bigger picture she was about kind of no frills good basics she kind of knew how to get you to think ahead and sort of set things up tactically to get you the the ball that you wanted next. I think she's a huge inspiration. I mean, she's done so much to build on the boys' legacy and give back to the game and developing a, a tennis workforce, more female coaches and uh, attracting more wee girls to play our sport. So I think she's fantastic. What did Judy teach you about the psychology of sport as well? I would just go back to that about how to make life difficult for your opponent and the sort of psychological advantage of that. And, and you can kind of see perhaps in the way that Andy's able to play cat and mouse with his opposition, thinks ahead in terms of his tactics. And um, yeah, you know, you're going to have a, a tough time to overcome that. You must have been gutted to hear about Andy uh, announcing his retirement. Really gutted to hear that for Andy. You know that if anybody can come back and come through that, it's going to be him. He's going to give it everything that he 
has got in order to do that. Sounds like he'll try as hard as he can to get a few more matches. Potentially there's another surgery on the cards, but yeah, a bit unknown as to how that will turn out. Thank you so much for uh, allowing us to speak to you today. You're very welcome. ESPN, head in the game. Right, time to talk wheelchair tennis. Now, Jordan Wiley became Britain's youngest ever champion when she was just 14. Just makes me feel like I haven't achieved anything. Uh, She went on to win the US Open and in women's doubles holds the rare distinction of winning all the Grand Slams in one calendar year. Wow. Yeah, she was awarded an NBE in 2015 and she's on the line now. Jordan? Hi. Hi, how are you? Yeah, well, thanks. Are all of those things I just said completely true? They are. I got the javelin record when I was 11 at school. That's it. Well, that's something. It's nothing. (laughs) You're so kind. It is nothing. You've won all the Grand Slams in one calendar year. Yeah, it wasn't oh, easy. Alex, I don't lie. All right? I'm, Amazing. I'm not like you. I'm not a liar. Okay, I'm honest. <laughs> uh, Jordan, we've got some questions for you because we want to know everything about tennis and you and just how amazing you are. Now, you've just come back from maternity leave. How have you found getting back into training? Um, pretty tough, to be honest. I mean, I've been out about 18 months now, and I've never really had more than maybe a two months out, really. And that was just for injuries. So it's a lot different when you're coming back from actually having a baby yeah. and gaining weight and fitness levels. It's a long time. Previous. Yeah, and it's been really tough. <laughs> but but you inspired by Serena Williams, who also returned having had her daughter. Yeah, because when I originally thought about coming back, I wasn't sure if it was even possible um, mm. because I don't believe anyone in my sport who is a mother has actually come back. So I just didn't know. And after I'd seen Serena come back and do so well, obviously it's possible. So, yeah, it did inspire me. But Serena Williams, I mean, she came back in record time, didn't she? She virtually yeah, I mean, sort of changed in the yeah, first but, nappy and picked up the racket. But watch this. Jordan Wiley is going to come back quicker. I can feel it. I know it. 100%. <laughs> Fantastic. Look, you won the uh, US Open in 2015. Can you tell us how far has wheelchair tennis come since then? Oh, you know, a lot. Like, every single year, it's just improving. Yeah. You can actually see the growth of the sport now. Like, we have such amazing juniors on the programme. You know, it is open for everybody to try and come and play. It's not just a performance sport. It'll be interesting for me coming back, obviously, because I've been out of the game for a couple of years now. I'll kind of see who's at the top. When you say it's come a long way, it's more popular? People taking it up in, in bigger numbers? Yeah, it's definitely more popular. We've got the the biggest number of like talent ID people now, which is really great. Because a couple of years ago, we didn't really have anybody. So now we've got a lot of young talent coming through. You and your doubles partner, you've won four Wimbledon titles in a row. So that means you must be raring to go for 2019, right? Well, the last Wimbledon title I won, I was actually pregnant. Oh, so oh, was... I'm, I'm going to have to leave. I mean, you have... You... What? Do you wear a cape every day? What do you, are you a super? I don't get what's going on. How can you do this? No, it was it was quite funny actually because I I actually said to Yuri, she was the only one who knew, yeah. and I said to her, look, I am pregnant. I don't expect to win this year. Let's just go and have fun. So it was more like I, I couldn't actually believe we'd won it because to everyone else it was like, oh, they've just won it again. But to us, it was like I can't even believe I've won it because I've got terrible morning sickness and I'm three months pregnant. So it was crazy. You've also achieved the rare feat of all. Grand Slams in one year in 2014, which is just yeah. incredible. Do you think the sport is becoming ever more competitive? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, because I've been around, you know, since like the mid 90s. So 
um, I've definitely seen the sport grow. And mm. now in the women's and the men's division, it is the most competitive it's ever been. Like, you know, back, you know, back five years ago, you could probably predict who was going to win gold at the Paralympics and who was going to win Grand Slams, whereas now it's just, who's going to win we just don't know now look we can't let you go without asking this question obviously um you know you and us we've all seen a lot of andy murray over the last few years what's your reaction to his impending retirement uh i was just absolutely gutted because i met andy murray a few times and honestly genuinely he's just the nicest guy and i know how much he has such a passion for tennis and it was so emotional watching him in that interview at the Aussie Open. Yeah, I just feel for him because I know that in his mind he's not really ready, but his body is telling him otherwise. Yeah, we're all a bit gutted about that. I feel the same. Uh, Jordan Wiley, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, you are a living superhero. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so Good much. Good luck with everything. Speak to you thank later. Thank you very much, Cheers. Bye-bye. 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 Right, it's time for our super fan bit, my favourite My favourite bit. Don't copy me, Alex. Okay. Uh, each week we speak to those dedicated supporters deserving of the official title of super fan. Uh, now, all of the tennis players over the last 20 years, Roger Federer probably has the most devoted fans. I think we can say that, right? I mean, look at the stats. It's honestly not surprising. 99 career titles, 20 Grand Slams. Many believe he's the greatest player of all time. Okay, so we're going to speak to Federer superfan Patricia Moore, who joins us in the studio right now. Patricia, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Can we just start off quickly? Okay. She's got a tattoo of Roger Federer on her actual forehead. <laughs> what made you do that? That is so mean. <laughs> no, I don't. Is, <laughs> the truth is, we actually have a cardboard cutout of Roger Federer in the studio. So you don't have a tattoo, but you do carry this everywhere you go, don't you? Can anyone hear this? It's slightly inconvenient to carry it around. I just brought him here specially. That is six foot. That is life-size yes. Roger Federer. It is, yeah. yes. It's slightly crumpled. Where, where do you keep that? No, it, I'm actually I'm en route to our tennis club. I'm taking him there as a permanent installation because the kids will love him there. Love it. Because yeah. every time you walk in your house, it scares you. <laughs> I, mean, I had him in the office, happen. so he was a gift from my team at, at work yeah. for Christmas. And I had him in my office, and I did actually keep thinking that someone else was in the room with me. So he's going to the tennis club okay we need to start so when did you first realize you were roger Federer's super fan well super fan's a bit of a funny word i don't know if i would call myself a super fan but i certainly i'm a great fan and um i think you realize that you have a you know a slight obsession with him whenever mm. you feel really really bad when he loses a match you know yeah. and then you feel really high when he wins that high kind of stays with you for a few days and when he's lost the match you feel really low so I think it's that sort of emotional connection. Well, I feel a bit like that about you know football teams, but that's mm. an entire team and an entire history. What is it about him? Is it about his style of play, the way he looks, his oh, I charisma? I think it's, it's everything about him, isn't it? I mean, he's a very cool guy. He uh, has been in the sport for a long, long time. And everyone likes a winner, don't they? Yeah. You know? And he yeah. has won a lot of things. So it's very easy to back a player whenever they're successful. Uh, but also, I think it's about his style of game. You know, he everyone always sort of says he's 
you know, he's the most graceful player. You could, he hardly sweats. Actually, he works incredibly hard. But it's his style of game, I think, that's the differentiator. Because uh, what, what style? What, what, what would you he's say? He's an aggressive player. That's it, he yeah. takes the game to you know to the other player, whereas most of the other top players are counter punchers. Yeah. That is so funny. I would say that he was just a relaxed player. Mm. I, that's my his knowledge of tennis. Of, no, his style of game is a very aggressive game, and that's why he's exciting to watch. Because he goes for it. Yeah. But okay, how often do you get to see him play? Not enough. I'd love to see him play much mm. more. Of course, I see him when he's in London. Being to the O2? Yeah. I buy the tickets in February and the yeah. tournament's in November. And I buy multiple sessions. I'm trying to forecast which games, which sessions he'll be playing. I usually get that quite ha- right. Have you ever met him? No, I've Well, tonight, to Patricia, <laughs> coming through the door now is... If only that were true. No one. Can, oh. I, can I also ask a personal question? When when you sit there, does he look and go, oh, no, there she is again? Does he, does he ever... <laughs> Do that. If go, only. Oh. And you're <laughs> just only, waving with your only, life size. If only <laughs> Roger he ever, even knew I existed. No. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. So, what do you think his future is? I mean, do you think he can keep hold of the title? Is he going to be the greatest ever Grand well, Slam player? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's quite an interesting question as to whether he's the greatest player of all time. I certainly think he is, but then I think people who in that generation always think the player of that generation is yeah. the greatest of all time so you know there's certainly things that he hasn't done he hasn't done the calendar Grand Slam it's a competition between him and Rod Lever I think and Rod Lever of course have done, has done that multiple times mm. and what does your family think of your Roger worship the best present my kids ever bought me was a signed picture of Roger off the internet so ah. my eight year old child bought me that for my Christmas one year you're easy for Christmas yeah very I mean, just easy just anything Roger yeah, Federer that's right but I think what everyone's going to be li- so they're listening to you right now and I and I sense a hint of a Scottish accent yes mm. so be honest when Roger played Andy where did your loyalties lie that's kind of changed over the years I think initially Murray was pretty hard to love and obviously Roger had been in the game for a long time I was already a seasoned Roger fan in my heart of hearts I was actually at Wimbledon the final whenever Andy played him in 2012 and I was supporting Roger you know and the whole of Wimbledon was supporting Andy what do you say to people who might suggest and it's not me and it's not Jamie it is it is he wrote these questions this is exactly (laughs) what would you say let me this let is me, all let you. Let me finish. Let me Before finish. Before we came in here, he said, do you think she'll mind if I say this question? What would you say to people who suggest Roger is, let's, let's say, arrogant, a little, bit, a little bit superior, let's say that? I think people who are very good at what they do, they may have a slight um, element of that. We are. It. It just we, goes. We we it just goes that, yeah. with the territory of being potentially the greatest player of all time. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Patricia Moore. You are great. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on uh, our podcast. Um, and thanks, Roger. Thanks. <laughs> Stop banging. Just leave him alone. <laughs> Patricia Moore, you are undoubtedly a Roger Federer super fan. Thank, Thank you. you very Thank much you. for coming thanks on the podcast. Coming. We Thank appreciate you. it. Right, so it's almost time to go, but we couldn't leave you without having a go at the quick fire quiz yes for the second time it's the head in the game quiz alex are you ready yes, jamie mm-hmm. here we go best of three sets round one true or false 
In the first Australian Open semi-final in 1969, the players kept their heads cool using cabbage leaves strategically placed under their floppy hats. Uh, false. True. It is true. <laughs> Roger Federer used to soak his tennis racket in goat's milk to make the strings more supple. True. False. Jamie is correct. Hey, and number three, Henry VIII enjoyed a game of tennis while Anne Boleyn was being beheaded. Uh, true. False. It's true. Oh. Round two, tennis player or Dickensian character? Herbert Chip. Uh, true. Tennis player. It's tennis player, Wimbledon semi-finalist, 1884. Noddy Boffin. <laughs> False. <laughs> Dickens character. Dickensian character. Inherits a fortune in novel Our Mutual Friend. Finally, Lottie Dodd. Uh, true. Tennis player. Yes, youngest lady singles champion before Martina Hingis came along. Final round. Aussie odd one out. Which of these players has not won, I repeat, not won the Australian Open? Andre Agassi, Stan Wawrinka, Andy Murray. I know for a fact it's Andy Murray. Really? Do you know that? Okay, yeah. Andy Murray then. Yes, you're both correct. Which place has the Australian Open not been held in? A. Tasmania. B. Australia. C. New Zealand. Tasmania. New Zealand. Tasmania. And finally, which one of these is not a surface used at the Australian Open? Rebound ace, plexi cushion, or spandex pinger? <laughs> spandex, spandex pinger. pinger. Yes, I made that up. Spandex pinger. And the winner on a tie break with 17 points to 15 is Jamie. Ah. Mainly because I knew your cousin. Right, that's all we have time for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Feel free to provide glowing feedback, comments, reviews. Don't forget to subscribe as well and make sure you tell your friends because we just want to hang out with you. Yeah. Uh, help spread the word. Join us next week when we'll be donning huge shoulder pads, helmets and throwing a big rubber egg around in the Super Bowl. Oh, I can't wait. Until then, make sure you keep your head in the game. ESPN, head in the game. <sighs> <sighs> You can let go of my hand now. No, seriously, let go.